Hello and welcome to another episode of Community Voice. On this week's episode, we have Martin Brothers Wine, Liz Martin. We also have from our Columbia chapter, Yevgen. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for jumping on the line. Yeah. So we are all located in New York City right now. And just full disclosure, I went to Columbia University. I graduated about three years ago now. And when I was over the age of 21, Martin Brothers was definitely a place that you know I and a number of my friends were customers at. So before jumping into your story and background and Martin Brothers' background, let's just kind of have you all introduce yourselves and then talk about your connection to CYC or the organization. Okay. So my name is Liz Martin. I'm the second generation owner of Martin Brothers. I started my career in the healthcare field. I have a master's in community health with a concentration in health management. I'm a single mom of three beautiful children. And I took over the family business because I wanted to continue my father's legacy at his request. We've been servicing the Morningside Heights for 34 years now, and it's important for me, for my shop, to be the neighborhood's go-to wine shop. And when CYC first found me, and they told me how the different ways that they can help me grow my business, well, I was very excited about that, and I was quick to make the decision to join forces with them. And then Yevgen. My name is uh, Yevgen Kanawash. I'm vice president at Consolidator Community Columbia. I'm studying economic statistics and computer science at Columbia. And I believe I joined Consolidator Community as a sophomore. Awesome. So, Liz, could you just tell us a little bit about the company? And, and I know you referenced it in your introduction, but also how you got involved. Okay. So... I think it's important to go back to the, the very beginning of how the brothers started. And that was back in 1970 when they owned and they operated a Latin food market known as La Fontillas, which referenced the Caribbean islands because they were from Cuba. Later in 1985, the brothers saw the opportunity to open a liquor store that not only presented a, a, a more lucrative opportunity, but also the possibility of spending more time with their family. And so, in November of 1985, Martin Brothers opened up their doors for business. Unfortunately, my father passed away in 2001, and before uh, passing, he asked that I not let Martin Brothers uh, go. Yeah. Later in, in 2008, we had a manager here, and he decided to open up his own store. So it was evident that the time was here for me to take over. And that's how I became involved with Martin Brothers. Yeah. And I think it's probably tough when you have a family-owned business, given obviously the loyalty and the commitment to that legacy. But in your case, that commitment is almost underlined, given that you came from a background which was entirely separated from right wine and spirits but as a commitment to your father, really as kind of a, a last wish, so to say, you stepped in and 
took over the company and you know that couldn't have been easy. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what it's like to run a small business in Manhattan? Well, you're absolutely correct when you say that uh, it, it wasn't an easy transition because, first of all, I had to go to sommelier school and, uh, you know, learn about wines and spirits and have some idea of what I was selling here at the store. So, yes, it was definitely a tough transition, but not an impossible transition. Um, this neighborhood, Morningside Heights, that we service shapes the way we run our business. It's a nice quiet neighborhood, family-oriented. A lot of professionals are here and we're right uh, next door practically to Columbia University. Obviously, we depend a lot on foot traffic, so customer service is key for returning customers. On the other hand, we also service corporate accounts and we have big institutions in the areas and those relationships we value and we support. I myself take the time to visit and to further establish my personal rapport with these institutions. I've implemented a loyalty program for the faculty and staff of Columbia University, and I've added tier quantity discounts to these corporate accounts to establish that loyalty, right? That when they need any wines or spirits, they think about Martin Brothers right away. Yeah, and being there for four years and yeah again I'm, I'm sure you can attest to this the campus and the area around it is I think very distinct in New York and especially in what people think of when they think of New York City in that right there's space and there's a calm to it and I'm not sure if that's because all of the Columbia students are too stressed out and studying or if that's just the community and, and the vibe to it. But, you know, Martin Brothers definitely has a very distinct character that matches well with that community and keeps that identity strong. Now, I wanted to ask on keeping an identity and, and maintaining your business amidst a community, from an industry standpoint, Wine and liquor, one of the oldest industries out there, there's references to drinking in the Iliad, right? And the Odyssey. But, you know, there's a lot of new startups and entrants looking to kind of disrupt the space. One of the larger ones sell you kind of five or six dollar wines and you sign up for subscriptions. Could you give us your take on how you and Martin Brothers kind of stay on top of these changes, these broader changes in the industry. And the loyalty program kind of seems like one of the ways you were tackling this, but how do you maintain customer relationships in the the wine and spirits industry? Okay, so yes, there are a lot of changes on how uh, we sell wine and spirits these days. And I feel that, that it's important for us to embrace these changes, but I, also think that there are lots of customers out there that want that personal shopping experience and you can't get that through an app or online. So we do work with Minibar and Drizzly, which are these apps where you are able to purchase, you know, wine and spirits and we, Martin Brothers will deliver it to you. These apps, these uh, represent about 10% of our sales. But still, again, it's very important, again, that customer rapport, that personal customer rapport. So we doubled down on maintaining our relationships 
with our returning customers by offering weekly tastings here at the store from uh, Wednesday through Saturday from 5 to 8. We have either spirits or wines or both open for tasting. We have grand tasting events, and I have about four of these a year where we have anywhere between 65 and 70 bottles open. Each of our barrels becomes a station. So not only are you tasting the wine, but you're getting an education on the wine. And we try to make it nice for our customers. We have appetizers going around. We have two different cheese stations. And it just, it's a very fun event. Our community, our customers love it. And we also offer classes. It can be a tequila class, a scotch class, a wine class, but we do it free of charge. I think that all of this ties back to our philosophy uh, that we want to be different and offer our customers a more personal and lasting experience. And uh, I believe that this is the key to success. That makes a lot of sense. And I can definitely say, and knowing your wines is a professional skill that is certainly mandatory for many different industries, especially the one that I went into. Moving on to how you collaborate with CYC, I was one of the founders of the Columbia chapter in 2012 and, and 2013. And I remember when we reached out to you almost you know, five years ago. And Yevgen, I'd also like to get your perspectives on how we've collaborated with Martin Brothers and some of the things that we've partnered together on. Absolutely. I think as uh, vice president and also the lead on this specific client engagement, I think a lot of the points that you brought up are also the key things that we focus in our work with Martin Brothers. A lot of the features of the environment of the area of Morningside Heights uh, really shapes our approach. A lot of the work that we had done previously has centered on building uh, Martin Brothers presence at Columbia. It's also very much connected to building out a online presence and creating a strategy for Martin Brothers brands online. I think that Liz's personal story is something that we really focused on, you know, adding those kind of tangible aspects to um, what is a brick and mortar store. And lastly, there are a lot of challenges connected to running a wine shop in Manhattan. And so these are all things that we are trying to optimize. And uh, all of the work lately has focused on improving Marm Brothers HR strategy. And that's something that um, I have been working with Marm Brothers on for the last semester. And what are some of the things that you've been working on to help Martin Brothers cope with, I'm assuming, what is a lot of turnover, especially in a tight labor market? Yeah, absolutely. So that is uh, one of the crucial challenges that a lot of liquor stores face. Unfortunately, the the I guess, and, and this is a trend people are kind of observing across the United States. In uh, urban locations, the uh, costs of living are just so high that it's really hard to retain employees in retail, in uh, food and drink industry generally. And Really, this is a very fundamental uh, trend that's driven by the same forces that are driving gentrification, that are driving the dynamics of demographics in the United States. So it's really hard to um, work against that. It's mostly about adjusting the business's strategy. And what we have observed is 
the basically the cost of living is the problem for the employees, and that's something they specifically talk about a lot. So we actually did a survey where we talked about what are the things that employees focus on, and what stood out to us was there are better ways to optimize how the workload is distributed between different employees, and there are smarter ways on choosing talent within the pool of candidates that is available. And that is basically the foundation on which we are trying to build out a uh, strategy for Modern Brothers in the future. And when you think about how to build a consistent team within a small business, I assume that that's much more difficult in a place like Manhattan with the high cost of living. What are some of the things that you've been able to learn working with the CYC team about building a sustainable workforce? As I mentioned, cost of living was the most uh, important factor that all employees listed after a survey a month ago. And so it's, it's something that you mostly have to take as is and then you know adjust to that. Because, well, frankly, you won't be able to change the dynamics of, of the housing market in New York. And you will definitely not be able to offer a compensation that is high enough for the people not to react as significantly to the housing market. So it's really, I think, about uh, basically understanding who are the top performers and trying to shift more responsibilities to them. That way you would be able to compensate them, both in terms of monetary compensation, but also offering them additional non-monetary benefits. That makes sense. And I would ask you, if you woke up tomorrow and had a superpower in that you were able to change any regulation or circumstance that would affect your company from a regulatory standpoint or something that would make your life as a small business owner easier, what would you choose to change? Free healthcare. If I can change a rule, it would probably be free healthcare because a lot of my employees here, you know, they talk about how they don't have healthcare coverage. And some of them actually prefer to pay the penalty for not having it than going out and purchasing because they say that it's just with the cost of living and the cost of transportation, they just can't afford it. If I can change one regulation, it would be that, free healthcare. I think that's that's interesting, given that you're running a business and, you know, it seems as though you have difficulty with turnover and that maybe a, a healthcare law, which is put into place to kind of try to increase the amount of people who had healthcare is possibly hurting smaller companies that don't have the size and scale to be able to afford that for every employee just because of the way that insurance works with pooling and you know size makes it cheaper. And then I wanted to also ask you for our listeners' benefit, if there was something about Martin Brothers that we haven't spoken about, what would you want somebody to know? That's a very good question, Thomas. Um, well, I mentioned in the beginning that my father on his deathbed asked me 
not to let the business go. And the reason he asked me was because there were certain family issues going on that uh, we thought might provoke or cause dissolving of Martin Brothers. And it was a big challenge. And I gave him many reasons, you know, why I wouldn't be able to do it. I said, Dad, I don't know anything about wine and soap. Dad, I've never been to business before. You know, I, I worked in the registers. I don't know this. I don't know that. You know, we humans are experts at coming up with reasons why we can't do something. He said to me, Liz, I taught you already what you need to know. And I didn't understand that at that time when he said that. But we grew up in this business, and we would have to get up at 6 a.m. to go out and pick up the employees to give them a ride to work. And we would open at 8.30. I think we were possibly the only four opening up at 8.30 in the morning. And we had to, it was rigid. It was like military, right, what we had to do. And with that, he taught us responsibility, commitment, determination, and the American dream that everything is possible. And when I said that, I, I can't do it, he turned around and he said, Promise me that you will try. And if you can't, then you sell the business. But I know you can do it, Elizabeth. And then he went on to say to me, Elizabeth, you're going to face many challenges, many. And you must be very strong. Do you understand me? You must be very strong. And even with all of that, I was still scared. And when the time came in 2008, when, when the manager left, and I took over, I was fearful because now the responsibility was really over my shoulders. Now it was do or die. I, I doubted myself. I really doubted myself. So to conclude, what I want my listeners to take home today is that if, if you're thinking about a new venture or taking on more responsibility, just do it. Take that leap and act in spite of fear. Because sometimes it's more important to get your feet wet and not to overthink. Because like I mentioned before, us humans are experts in coming up with reasons why we're not able to do something. And I tell you this from experience. I was fortunate to have my dad be able to give me his, like a code of honor, his words of wisdom. And especially when he said, you're going to face many challenges and you must be very strong. These words, even though it's been 17 years since he passed, they continue to carry me through my trying times. This experience is driving my goals and my aspirations for the future. And I want to continue carrying my father's legacy and see Martin Brothers grow to higher levels and one day hand this baby over to the third generation Martin Brothers. I think that that is a great note to end on and really crystallizes what both a family-owned small business is all about in that you're not only passing down an asset, but you're also passing down character, honor, legacy, and something that really pertains, but also symbolizes what that family is capable of and the lessons passed down from generation to generation. And I also think Martin Brothers is important because Columbia students and alumni all have a recognition of 
its place in the Morningside Heights community, what it meant and means, continues to mean for Columbia students in New York and in many urban areas, we're losing that sort of character. Whether it's difficulty finding employees compared to larger companies, prices of rent or location and real estate, or as you know, Yevgen was talking about, just gentrification broadly. And Liz, I think your voice is great to have on to both tell us your story, but to also tell us what small business means to a community and how much we all need to worry about the fact that we could be losing some of that in our communities. I want to thank you all for jumping on the line, walking us through your work with CYC and collaboration with Martin Brothers. So thank you for jumping on Community Voice. Thank you. Thank you for having us.